Hi, I'm Debbie Georgiatis. Welcome to my show, America Can We Talk? Today, we're going to talk about the Georgia boycott backfire. Retired Supervisory ICE Special Agent Victor Avila joins me in studio to talk truth and eyewitness reports about what's happening at America's southern border and Buttigieg Big Bike Reveal and join America Can We Talk, Alan West and me. And of course, I'll tell you why these stories matter to you. Stay tuned. Lost our cue there. Debbie Georgiatis, host of America Can We Talk, is an author, attorney, and political analyst whose mission is to inspire the American political conversation about preserving liberty in the best country on earth. And welcome again to America Can We Talk and to today's First Five. I'm Debbie Georgiatis. The ongoing saga of the Georgia election law really warrants some extremely uh, important points I want to make today about what's happening. Of course, you realize that the uh, Georgia election law, which we'll in one moment talk about was really in there, really not. But the Georgia election law has caused numerous large corporations, as well as Major League Baseball, to shun, to move away from, or in some way condemn Georgia. Well, let's just start with Major League Baseball. You had comments from actual uh, experts in Georgia saying that the state of Georgia will lose money, not, you know, like $4.50, lose in the millions of dollars from tourist money because they don't have the, uh, the, the all-star game being played in Georgia. And compound that with, they moved the, the uh, Major League, the all-star game, from Georgia, from the Atlanta area, which is 51% black, to an area in Colorado, which is under 10% black. And so even Stacey Abrams, I hate to agree with her on anything, but she did come out and say, hey, you know what, actually, you might be upset about this law, but if you shun Georgia, you end up hurting black Americans. You hurt the people you say you care about, you're trying to protect as you you know, move away from Georgia. So she's on a mission saying, look, complain all you want, try to lobby, make changes, but don't punish Georgia. Kind of too late for that for Major League Baseball. A lot of people, um, and actually the, the Democrat Party now getting worried that the pushback about this uh, law or the way that the left is reacting is going to cause some people to say, hey, wait a minute, you know, what are the Democrats doing to us here? Um, that was one little pushback. A second one is that in the um, Delta Airlines has made a major fuss about it. They're based in Georgia. They've issued complaints. Well, Delta Airlines, number one, obviously requires voter ID to get on a flight. Everyone has to do that. No one has an exemption because it's too hard to get an ID. No one has that because everyone has to have it and everyone understands that. I have a little chart I'm gonna ask Matt the Wonderful to put up with. It lists all the places you have to have voter ID in order to do anything and uh, if Matt can put that up, I'll let you take a look at this. These are places where valid IDs are required. All these places, your average American uses these, these uh, services, these products, um, just uh, endlessly. And, and you have to have ID, and no one ever says, hey, it's racist. You can't, have to ha you can't require ID for all these other things. Um, but you, know, you see what's at the bottom, valid ID is not required when you vote. The leftists who are complaining about the Georgia election law are starting to sound absurd, and they know they're starting to sound absurd. So back to Delta Airlines, they actually 
put out statements or allegedly explaining why they are so upset about the Georgia law. And so I decided to dig in. What is Delta saying they're so upset about? You know, what's Major League Baseball so upset about? In fact, what's American Airlines so upset about? And when you dive in and read their statements, the answer is they have no idea why they're upset. They have no idea. The answer is we stand for uh, not, we're against voter suppression. Okay, we're all against voter suppression. What in this law suppresses voters? There's no answer. Every statement they put out has these you know, high and mighty, self-righteous sounding pronouncements, basically saying we stand up for the integrity of the election system, never saying what is in this bill that is so unfair. There's also a great contrast I want to point out, because this is what I'm getting at is the entire uh, hoop, uh, hoopla, whatever you want to call it, the entire um, upset over the Georgia election law is a political stunt. It's a political stunt. These same businesses do business all over the country, and they do business in states that have far more restrictive laws. Let's just take a look and compare Georgia's laws to New York. There's a little check, uh, checklist I sent to Matthew Wonderful. Okay, Georgia gives 17 days of early voting. New York only gives nine. But you don't hear any of these, you know, um, high and mighty complainers about Georgia complaining that they are going to uh, that that you know they, they're going to have to turn on New York next. Not happening. Georgia bans passing out food and water within 150 feet of, of voters. The point of that, by the way, is they're not saying you can't have food and water when you stand in line. They're saying you can't have candidates or the representatives trying to sway voters by handing out free stuff in line. New York has a similar thing, bans passing out food and water over $1 in value. So very similar laws. We could go on um, Georgia and New York, but Major League Baseball, back to them a moment, they're moving to Colorado, which has very similar laws that uh, as Georgia now has under their new bill. Requiring a valid ID to vote by mail in Georgia. New York doesn't require it when you vote by mail, but when you register, you have to have, for federal elections, you have to have the valid ID. And this last one, Georgia allows no excuse vote by mail, and New York, more restrictive, requires you have to have an excuse to vote by mail. So I said I was diving into what Delta and the, early, and the other people are saying about the Georgia law, and I think I really came up with the whole issue. The Delta Airlines CEO made a statement saying, you know, we are, we're, we, this Georgia election law is very wrong. And he went on and said, it's based on a lie. And what he's getting at is, he's trying to say, there's no reason for Georgia to have uh, in any way firmed up their election integrity provisions because there was no election fraud in 2020. This is all, they're, they're squawking and making noise, the left is, because they want to have America believe everything was fine in the elections of 2020, and therefore, there is no reason to make this law. No reason to do any such thing. And I'll tell you another tactical advantage I think the left is trying to get out of this. If they can convince America that the law passed in Georgia is so outrageous, so egregious, that it is repressing voters, it's suppressing the vote, it's unfair, all the things, it's racist, all the crazy things you're saying, that is the argument the left will use to try to get H.R. 1 passed in the Senate. It's an argument by the left that says, we have to do H.R. 1, we have to do this you know, voter integrity, the For the People Act of H.R. 1, because look at all the evil we're fighting against. Look what's happening in Georgia. This is exactly 
what the thinking behind all of this is. Make a big old hoopla over this bill, claiming it is just the most egregious, unfair bill of all. And uh, you may end up having the, the senators who are wobbly on the fence decide, yeah, I've got to go get behind H.R. 1. Even if they don't decide it, the American people are swayed because they don't read what's really in H.R. 1. They don't read what's really in the Georgia election law. And they think, actually, maybe the, the, this, all this complaining means there's something really horrible in there. Let me just tell you the things in the, in the Georgia law that is, are even remotely objectionable to the left. One, they used to have... In Georgia, they, they have when you register to vote, you have to have an official ID. You know, you either have a driver's license or passport or some other government issued ID. But they had on this massive mail-in ballot festival they had in the 2020 elections, they allowed other forms to be used. And this law is basically saying, you know, everyone's got to use the same thing. Somehow, every voter whether they vote in person or by mail, has to have, essentially, has to be using the same kind of, the same standard about voter ID. So the mail-in ballot people can't any longer be sending things in without the valid ID that's required for the in-person voters. That is the big uh, voter ID battle in Georgia. The Georgia law actually extends, makes it easier to vote in many other ways. There's just simply nothing objectionable in, the board, in this uh, Georgia law. But the left has decided it's a hill to die on to make America think it's the most dangerous bill of all. Well, I mentioned Major League Baseball now getting a little bit of pushback because they moved this all-star game to a very uh, overwhelmingly predominantly white community, unlike what would have been the case had it stayed in Georgia. But even Delta Airlines in the last two days, last two days, had, had to cancel 100 flights. Now they're saying, oh, this has nothing to do with the voter law. This has nothing to do with what we said about the voter law. This is all just, you know, we had uh, staff shortages. But not just like in one hub, all of a sudden in the two, in a two day period, they claim staff shortages forced them to cancel 100 flights. It's not staff shortages, my very fine friends. It is American people trying to use their voice, trying to push back and say, we don't want corporations involved in the political process. Delta Airlines, Major League Baseball, American Airlines, all the other companies involved, the message to you is stay in your own lane. Do your business, produce your product, produce your service, do your job. Stay out of politics. Stop pressuring Americans. Stop hassling American legislators. Stop hassling American voters by getting involved in politics and, and annoying, making angry at least half of your customer base. Just stay out of politics. But the thing is, folks, I'll wrap up the first five by saying this. President Trump issued a statement saying essentially, you know, you have to keep up the pressure on these people. He said, don't relent, you know, keep up the pressure on American Airlines and Delta and baseball. You know, don't, don't do the baseball thing. Keep up the pressure. Point being, these people, if they've experienced two or three days of pressure from the public and then realize, ah, they're, they're all over, they don't care how much we interfere with the voting, uh, voter integrity law, they will have accomplished what they're trying to do, which is to help the left and I, I want to go back to the biggest point of all and end on this. You have to understand, I don't think that Major League Baseball or Delta or American or any other corporation complaining about Georgia's election law actually thinks there's anything wrong with Georgia Georgia's new election law. They don't think that. Some of them acknowledge they hadn't even read it. They don't even know what's in it. 
but they decided that they're going to get on the bandwagon. This is the left wing Democrat media mob bandwagon to say we've got to shut this thing down. And the reason the left is pushing this is because this law may actually help bring voter integrity back to the elections in America. And it's the last thing the left wants is voter integrity. So they are going to hill to die on, keep claiming this law, which has absolutely nothing racist or unfair about it, uh, is somehow an effort at voter suppression. And the left thinks this is going to both, uh, it's going to help them in Washington get HR1 passed because people will be so frightened by what they think Georgia did that they'll go ahead and support this most egregious power grab pretty much in American history, which is HR1, the Democrats bill in Washington, the Permanent Vote Fraud Enablement Act is what it really should have been called, Permanent Vote Fraud Enablement. The left wants this passed more than anything else. It guarantees them a long-term majority rule in America. And this whole political stunt we're watching related to the Georgia law is just one more step along the way to make that dream of the left a reality. And that, my very fine friends, is today's First Five. I mentioned at the start of the show, we have a guest joining us in the studio. I always love when the guests can come into the studio. Uh, he's joined us several other times, Victor Avila. Before I get him on, we're going to be talking about, because he's just been down to the border, and we're going to be talking about what the border of America really is like these days, what's actually going on at the border. But before we do, I want to show you his new book, which he just signed for me. I was going to ask him about it. He brought me this book. It's called Agent Under Fire, A Murder and a Manifesto, Victor Avila. This is the topic of the last time he was here, and um, I hope we get to it today. But the real reason I asked him to come in today is because he has been down to uh, the Texas border with Mexico very recently and can kind of give us a firsthand impression of what's really going on there because the Biden administration has tried to repress the media, tried to not have stories out, not have pictures out. Many people deeply concerned about what's happening at our border. And so we have Victor Avila in the studio. He is a we don't say former, retired uh, ICE special agent. Um, he's a uh, former, actually, supervisory special agent with ICE, Homeland Security, um, and he's a, um, worked at the border for years. And I want to have him, so he's really got knowledge of how the border is supposed to be functioning and what's actually happening there. So without further introduction, hello, Victor. Hi, Debbie. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so glad you're here. And um, I really hope we get to your book. And actually, the reason you were here before was to tell the story about what was in right. your book, and we'll get to that. But I'm hearing, actually, the reason you're here also is because I ran to a good friend of yours at a political function and said, you've got to get Victor back on the show to tell about his latest adventures at the border. So just starting out, how recently did you go down to the border, how, and how long were you down there? I was there last week for a couple of days, and let me tell you, in my 20 years of uh, experience as a law enforcement officer that I worked most of my career on the border and in Mexico, had never seen anything like this. You know, they, they, they call it the crisis. It is a crisis beyond a crisis. It, it's a disaster. And I went through a lot of feelings when I was down there. Uh, I couldn't believe what was happening before my eyes. I actually went down there, and this was on my own. Uh, I, I paid my way down there, and, and I made contacts with some of the colleagues, and I was able to get a tour of the border down to the levee, down to the river, where you see these, uh, these videos, the roads where these migrants are coming in. Uh, traveled through all that and went down there and talked firsthand with our border patrol agents and I really wanted to be uh, here with what they had to say because I want to be a voice for them you know the gag order has been in effect 
they were so on edge. Um, they're so afraid that any media might come up to them. They're so on edge because they are doing things that are not part of their scope of their employment. They want all they want to do is go back to patrol the 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 border and actually enforce the laws, but they're not being allowed to do that. Okay, let's start with where I know we're, this is the Texas border with yes. Mexico. Where along that border were you? What area? It was mostly the McAllen uh, uh, Mission, Texas area, which the, where the Big Donna Center is. Uh, I, I actually went into the facility. I got access to the inside of the outside. I really didn't push my way inside because we've already started seeing uh, mm -hmm. images of the inside. But what I did see on the outside was these huge new construction projects of two to three times the size of the original one that they're uh, building to accommodate more uh, migrants, either children or family units. And I'm thinking to myself, this is not the answer for border security is to build more facilities. We need to address the issue down south and how do we stop the flow? Absolutely. Well, what is the story when you went and talked to some, I mean, we talked on the phone a bit last night and I wanna try to just get you going telling those stories, yeah. but you were down in an area where people would have had come across the river and, and describe what you were seeing, how they do that, and what then Border Patrol's job was as these, as these people come across the river. So this area right by the river, uh, the Border Patrol is stationed about two miles north of the river. And this is a big brushy roads, a bunch of roads that um, these migrants are having a hard time getting through and navigating those two miles to turn themselves in to Border Patrol. These are supposedly the asylum seekers. And let me tell you, I didn't hear the word asylum once in the 48 hours that I was there. Um, they've kind of forgotten that they have to seek that. And the way to seek asylum is through a port of, uh, official port of entry, not through the river. Anyway, they uh, they walk through. Some of them were getting lost. They're being getting dehydrated. So they actually have signs that Border Patrol arrows that put up arrows and sign signage to let them navigate them to get them to this first under a bridge where they turn themselves into Border Patrol. When I was there, I, uh, there was a group of 400 plus individuals, men, women, and children. And uh, I was still under the assumption that they were gonna be then transferred to a Donna facility or another facility in McAllen. But that group that was there was actually released to the streets. They were released, put on a bus, released to the border uh, to the uh, bus station in McAllen, Texas. And I followed that bus over there. I saw them um, get there, go into a tent that FEMA set up across the street from the bus station in McAllen, Texas, where they get their, the only test they got at that time was a, a COVID test. And then they get released into, there's a, a charity place that gives them toiletries, that gives them clothing, gets them an opportunity to wash up and get a meal. And then they get money from somewhere. Uh, they weren't able to tell me where, if it's a family member that sends them or it's another NGO, an, a non-governmental organization that gives them their money to board an airplane or a bus without an ID. Okay, let's go back to the river. <laughs> so <laughs> these people coming across the river, are you talking about mostly families or are you talking about young, uh, you say unaccompanied minors, but I mean teenagers, near adults, what, what's the age range of these people? So they're all coming through and what had recently happened, uh, and this is coming straight from the Border Patrol, that they stopped seeing these young males come in uh, that were commingled with the family units. They were all coming in at, together at once. And then all of a sudden the young males stopped and it was only family units. It's uh, what we, they think is the mother, father, and child. Sometimes it's just a male with a child uh, or just a woman with a child or two or three children. Um, what they tell me is that these uh, 17, 18, 19, 20-year-olds up to 25-year-olds, um, the cartel started vetting them on the other side and stopped sending them with the family units 
in case they did have criminal history, in case they, they did have ties to a gang or to the cartels. And so they are being smuggled in without being detected. And there's still a lot of that happening. The smuggling continues, the trafficking and the drug smuggling continues to this day. So on the Mexican side, the drug cartels, the smugglers are actually identifying and pulling the young men, something range 17 or so and older, and then smuggling them in. And so what is the reason? I mean, it seems obvious, but why are these smugglers wanting these people to get in America uh, undetected, not with families? Is it because they're going to end up working for the cartels? Is that that's that's one for sure. And and I asked the Border Patrol, why are they separating them? They're, they're se separating them and kind of helping, believe it or not, Border Patrol. They don't want Border Patrol to detect them. They don't want Border Patrol to deal with them because uh, in some instances they do get taken to the de de detention facilities and they get the runs, che the checks run on them and the background and fingerprints. Uh, in the case that I saw, none of them got that, by the way. There was no notice to appear, which is a, a, an NTA that is issued to the illegal alien for their appearance to a court date for their asylum hearing sometime in the next two or three years. They're not even receiving that. They are just literally being escorted into our country uh, one COVID test and that's it. They're gone. So the thing that we always assume happens at the border that, you know, we maybe can't immediately detain them until we hold an asylum hearing, but we give them a notice to appear at what you saw that is not even happening. They're just captured and released. Yes, it is so disheartening to see that. And, and when I was there, I went through a lot of emotions. Uh, um, I was there was confusion. Um, I never seen this happen in our country before. There is absolutely no immigration law being enforced on the border right now. None. And there's other violations. We have uh, young men that are 20, 18, 19, 20 year olds claiming to be 17 to be allowed in as an unaccompanied minor and there's no one to verify that there are the consulates in these countries are nowhere to be found that could check at least their date of birth or identity so we we're just taking the word for it and treat it as an unaccompanied minor because the, the the individual says he's 17 years old wow so when you get to this area where you're saying they're sent off on buses where, I mean, are they being sent because you, they have an organized system and they've identified a place they're going? I and mean, who decides where they're going to be sent? They are highly, highly organized. These uh, charities that... And they is the charities. The charities, are. these NGOs, um, they wouldn't answer the question of where these funds are coming from that gets them their final you know, boarding pass or, or airline ticket. Uh, they say that they, the family sends it to them. Uh, I tend not to believe that. There's, these individuals already paid up to $4,000 plus an additional $400 to get on the raft just to get uh, brought over the river. And all of a sudden, uh, they want me to believe that family members are sending additional money. Uh, I think the cartels along with the NGOs are, there's a lot of things happening here. The individuals are, uh, owing this money and are are kind of becoming into an indentured servitude kind of position with the cartels that they will continue to owe these cartels wherever they end up. And they're going, uh, the ones that I saw that were going to predominantly to the northeast part of the country, Virginia, Maryland, up north, uh, New Jersey. And they have addresses, they have phone numbers. We have uh, uh, these migrants with phone numbers written on their forearms. We have individuals being tagged by the cartel with color-coded bracelets to determine whether or not they've already paid or have not paid. I, I gotta jump in because I wanna make sure people are following this. The cartels themselves are giving these young people, or however old they really are, who are entering America illegally, giving them colored wristbands to indicate how much money that person still owes the cartel? 
that what how much saying? how much money they owe or if in fact they owe all of it or if they're fully paid and separate them that way so they can keep track themselves you see the cartels control all of that in mexico there's no individual that comes in through mexico and is not encountered by the cartels you cannot be smuggled even if you're turning yourself into border patrol and seeking asylum you still will pay the fee to the cartels and uh we're bringing up the point of um you know, the, the two individuals that we found out about yesterday yeah. from Yemen. And it, it, I've been saying this for many, many years. I've encountered these individuals in Mexico when I worked there. I interviewed them, individuals from Bangladesh, from Yemen, from Somalia, from Pakistan, from special interest countries that we consider special interest aliens. These individuals that were caught on two separate occasions were on the no-fly list, on the terrorist watch list. These are the people that are coming in through Mexico as well. And they'd already made their way across the border. Yes, and so luckily- in America, and they are on our no-fly list. They're wanted terrorists, and they're in our country. Yes, uh, luckily- and so, so what do we do if we find that out? What do we do with them? Luckily, these were detected and, and, and arrested. Um, there was 11 Iranians last about a month and a half ago in Arizona, detected by Border Patrol. Thank, thank goodness for that. But the point is that the, the, the border is so wide open right now because the cartels know that the Border Patrol is so overwhelmed with taking care of the unaccompanied minors and the caravanners and these large groups of people that there's no one patrolling. There's the Texas Department of Public Safety doing a great job in trying to, you know, um, you know uh, back up the, the Border Patrol in the patrolling of the river. And they have, they saved lives. There's been drownings. When I was there, there was a body uh, another an adult person that drowned and it's going to continue to happen because the cartels don't care you've seen the videos of, the, of them throwing the children over the the, the fence they, they don't oh, care right, the they wall. have no they have no regard for life or human life they just care about getting their money so i i gotta go back to the cartels so they give them these wristbands and so some people you pay the cartel and what you're paying them for is because they're helping get in america that's what you're paying for but if you owe the money still and they, you still get in, then you're expected to come to America and do the bidding of the car, drug cartels here in America somehow to, to earn your way. That's right. And a lot of these the young individuals, these 17-year-olds, by the way, um, a lot of them already work for the cartels. A lot of them have been recruited at a young age, not just in Mexico, but in Central America. And they're going to continue to work for the cartels when they get to Chicago, when they get to their final destination. Um, there, there's no sustainability by this administration. There's no, uh, they didn't foresee the problems that of these individuals. Did they expect that they're going to just jump into a high school and assimilate from one day to the yeah. other? Border Patrol tells me a high number of them uh, can read or write Spanish. Um, and uh, they, they're coming with cannot, over, read, cannot or read or write Spanish. They cannot, they are bringing um, other illnesses like tuberculosis, cholera, uh, and lice, other issues, uh, he, uh, health issues, not just COVID, by the way. And so it's a, it's a big issue that, that's going to affect a lot of communities in our country as the months, months move forward and the numbers continue to grow. The March numbers came out, it's 170,000 plus. Uh, at this rate, we're going to be over 1.5 million by the end of the year. Yeah, I was going to go to the numbers in a second. And I also want to, though, before I lose track here, I want to go back to the Yemenis uh, from the country of Yemen coming into America. So they obviously didn't walk here. So how do these people, do you know what the route is? I mean, it probably isn't just one route, but what is the way these people from terrorists, potentially terrorist people, getting to America's southern border of Mexico? Like, how do they get there? They have very different smuggling routes that, and, and very... Uh, 
distinguished smuggling routes that they start from their home country and south america is a point for them to get there's a big uh conflict going on in chile colombia venezuela we know the uh the situation there and all they want to do is hit into the that central america area because you know you have the the three countries there the northern triangle that you could travel within those three countries so once you're in guatemala you're, you're as good as being in mexico because we know mexico is not helping and keeping them out and so that's the way they make their, their final destination into Mexico, knowing that all they have to do is come in and seek asylum. Obviously not the ones that are on the terror watch list, but that's the, that's the key here. It's a national security issue that we are, we are ignoring this part of the uh, uh, immigration part that these individuals are, are coming into our country. So when we capture these kind of people that are on our terror watch list, do, is our only remedy just to send them back, or do we actually process them for criminal prosecution? No, no, here? they're they'll, they're, they're going to be detained. They'll be investigated. This is this is these are uh, individuals of high risk, and we would uh, we're going to check all of their their background and uh, of course all of their uh, you know any associations with other kind of uh, uh, terrorist organizations. And there's a lot of a lot of those individuals that are doing that. And a lot of them coming in undetected. You know, I sent a video of, uh, of a tractor trailer last uh, uh, about a week ago, north, just south of San Antonio. And you just see all these males, mostly males, jumping off out the back of the tractor trailer, uh, being offloaded there. These individuals didn't turn themselves in. They still are many, many individuals not wanting to be detected by the Border Patrol. And some number of them, some percentage of them, may be either Middle Eastern. They may they may be just gang members who who uh, the cartels have gotten a hold of in Mexico, and we don't have a way at our border. We're simply not able to detect every one of them as they come across. We That's just right. can't and, do and it. That's right. And and really quick, another uh, portion of our, our prior deports. These are individuals that were in the U.S., convicted of sex offenses, convicted of violent crimes, deported. Guess what? They're trying to come back. Uh, Border Patrol has done a good, good job of uh, interdicting some that want to come back. A lot of sex offenders, by the way, but a lot of them still manage to make their way back into the U.S. Okay, so all this is happening right now in 2021. Is a lot of this happening because of a change in border policy uh, in the current administration under President Biden as compared with the Trump administration's policy? Is it policy changes that is causing this overrunning of our border? Absolutely. It's not even policy changes. It's the ignoring uh, of the enforcing of our laws. Failure to enforce the law and I the mean, border. The yeah. Border Patrol, all, want, all they want to do is go back and protect our homeland and protect our, the line. And they're unable to do that. And absolutely, the policies that they have in place right now are obviously not working. You saw the implementation of the prior administration and what good it did. And yes. it was working. You know, we had this kind of crisis in 2019. It started working with the Remain in Mexico policy, the Title 42 uh, implementation uh, of that law because of the pandemic. But all that is erased, was erased by this administration, the wall. Now I hear that D DHS secretary might want to go back and plug in some of those because I saw those gaps, yeah. let me tell you. It is, they, they stopped from one moment to the next on that construction of the wall. The, the access roads for our Border Patrol agents to get to that area to patrol are demolished because of the construction. So there was no effort to at least finish some of those projects. Okay. Wow. Um, I really think the American people, I mean, a, people of different levels of interest in immigration and maybe more immigration and, and all sorts of, um, you know, how much compassion we should show for people coming here from impoverished countries. But this is a national security issue. This is a drug smuggler issue. This is a sex trafficker issue. This is a terrorist issue. And so the Border Patrol agents you talk to, 
they don't want to be part of what the policy, I mean, they would rather be enforcing the border. Is that, was that clear to you? Absolutely. They don't want to be transporters. They don't want to be, I call them medical assi assistance, MAs. They don't want to do that. They don't want to be able to take these people and then release them into the streets. Forget the ones, and some that are going into the, the camps. Okay, that's, that's another process, but not everyone, like uh, President Biden said, that they're being sent back. Most of them are being sent back. That is not true. Uh, as a matter of fact, not, not only are not, not being sent back, they're, sent, they're being allowed in without any notice to appear, without any prior uh, uh, record checks that usually Border Patrol does. Um, I'm actually, I'm so glad to know this. I actually think more people are becoming aware. Okay, one last other quick thing. So when these people get here, you mentioned some of them end up being because NGOs or something provide their transportation, whether on a bus or a plane ticket. These people are boarding buses and plane tickets without any official ID, whether from their home country or America. They're just saying, hey, my name is such and such, and we take their, that at face value. Is that right? That's correct. I even uh, uh, talked to the Border Patrol agent assigned to the airport there in, in uh, Harlingen, and I, because I saw the illegal aliens at the airport when I, when I was traveling to and when I was coming back, and I, I just couldn't believe it that I said, what are they using to gain access? Uh, is the airline the one that's waving this? Yeah. Uh, I mean, who is it that's allowing them? Uh, they're using a Form 213 that Border Patrol gives them, which is their name and address and whatever information the alien gave. It's, and there's no, ver there's no vetting of that information. Whatever they provide, they're taking the word for it. That's what they're uh, allowing them to, to gain access to our airplanes. So they get on airlines. I mean, these are, like, I think American Airlines is down there, Southwest. American and Southwest. Yeah. They're getting on planes where we get double-checked and having a proper ID, and they have an ID that's comprised of whatever name they gave, and we fill out a form at the border and say, here you go. Right. Okay, okay. So uh, there was actually talk about the idea that uh, this um, border chaos, Biden's border chaos, was creating a massive stimulus for cartels and human traffickers. I mean, they're actually financially benefiting from this uh, failure to ha enforce the border. Is that accurate? That's absolutely true. Uh, I mean, the figure that I that I read was uh, $14 million a day. And I did some numbers. Uh, if if we have 200,000 people that come in at $4,000 a head, that's $800 million. Absolutely, the cartels are the ones benefiting from this. There's no benefit here in our communities because we're going to have to absorb these individuals into our community. We're going to have issues with our schooling, healthcare system, and crime. That's, that, that goes without saying. You will see it come to a town near you, um, but the cartels are the ones making bank with the, with the policies of this administration. Yeah, it's, it's actually, it's, it's, um, well, it's very alarming, obviously, on many levels, but you kind of wonder when there's going to be a more vocal pushback from the American people. I think people are starting to be aware and they're thinking, and, and when I guess that they come to their own community, if they are the recipients of a large group of people who, you know, put, end up putting a strain on the, on the criminal justice system, education system, healthcare system, then you might get the pushback, but this is like a silent invasion. It really is, and I, and I tell people, people ask me, what's the solution? You need to put the pressure on the administration, continue at the local level, it starts there. Um, to make people aware of really what's happening down there. And this cannot continue the way it is, that we're gonna continue to see drownings and deaths and, and other horrific things happen at the border. Plus, we're gonna see, um, I met with families of angel moms and angel dads down there yeah. in a press conference. Uh, you tell we can, what that means? Who yeah, angel moms and angel dads, these are uh, US citizens that were 
uh, victimized at the hands of an illegal alien. They were killed by an illegal alien here in the United States, either by drunk driving or a violent act. Their, son, their sons or daughters. Their sons or daughters were killed by an illegal alien. And a lot of those times, the sanctuary city policies from these cities protected and released these individuals rather than contacting ICE to release, to uh, detain them and deport them back. And they should have been in custody. So we can't forget about them, that they've been victims uh, of the hands of these illegal aliens in our country. Well, this is among the frustrations people feel in America right now, patriots all across the country, because we don't feel like we have a voice in Washington. I mean, we don't have, we have some members of the Congress or Senate who allegedly represent the conservative side, but we really don't have any power. I mean, so, I mean, we can contact congressmen, contract senators, say, you know, please support this, please don't fund this. But there's got to be more of a message from the people, just from the people to Congress saying, um, you know, to Washington, because I don't think, I mean, I think the Biden team wants to be reelected or whoever's really running the country. I don't think it's Biden. Whoever it is really running the country, they want to be reelected. And so it just seems like there has to be a massive voice in the people saying we actually want our border back. Yes. Um, I, I, and I was telling you the feelings that I went was, was feeling when I was down there. I was standing down there. I felt helpless. I felt uh, sometimes uh, even embarrassed that, that to think that this is happening because th this is not America. You know, uh, I'm all for pro uh, and I'm very pro-legal immigration. And by the way, what about those individuals that have been doing it the right way all this time? Yeah. I've been waiting for years. They've done the medical backgrounds, the criminal history checks, and paid all, the, all their fees and applications. They're just, they're waiting. They might as well figure go into Mexico and come in illegally. A lot faster. A lot faster. Yeah. Okay, I saw this number. You had some numbers, I think, in mind, but March, the month of March, border crossings jumped to a 15-year high. I mean, think about it. You've worked on the border. You've worked on the Mexican side. What reason is there for anyone who really would prefer to live in America? Why shouldn't they try right now? Or, I mean, the border isn't being enforced. They're going to get inside and, and get either released into the population just randomly or fly on a plane or get in a bus. I mean, I mean everything we're doing invites more people to cross. Is that and that's actually true. And, and I'll say this, it's, you know, you look at the migrant, it's heartbreaking to see the children. And uh, of course they're doing it because their, their country is broken where they're coming from. But when are we gonna shift the burden on Central American countries, on the rest of the world, and place the burden on them to take care of their US citizens? Why is the burden being placed on the United States? Why right. is it us that has, has to take care of, we're compassionate people, we're humanitarians, but there's a right way to do it and this is not the way to do it. Very good point. Very good thought. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, Victor, you know, I know I said I wouldn't take too much of your time today. I'm going to just tell our listeners again that this is his new book, Agent Under Fire, A Murder and a Manifesto. Uh, Victor Avila is about his experience in Mexico uh, and very unfortunately and sadly lost his partner that he was working with in Mexico. Um, I did see, with again, much detail, I did see, didn't Senator Cornyn introduce a bill that is in part response to what occurred. You want to quickly tell about that? Really quickly. Um, unfortunately, last year, the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals, after an, an appeal by two of the shooters in our case, uh, they dismissed or vacated the murder charge that convicted them of the murder of Special Agent Jaime Zapata. And so, which is as disgusting as that is, we can't believe it. So right now, as I talk to you, there's no one being held 
for the for his murder. They're there for my attempted murder and other gun charges. So we, um, through the help of Senator Cornyn and other uh, congressmen, we uh, drafted a new bill because they said that the, because the murder occurred extraterritorially, meaning in Mexico, it didn't apply, even though we had other cases and case law that said it did. We have introduced a, a new bill and it is, it's the uh, Jaime Zapata and Victor Avila Protection Act to uh, in include those words in there. It's a one-page bill, and we're hoping it passes uh, through this legislation. The bill would permit persecution, prosecution in federal courts of, it, for instance, that occurred in Mexico. Of, in, of in U.S. citizens, yes. On, on U.S. citizens, yes. okay. The attackers, though, of you in Mexico, of you and your partner in Mexico, were not American citizens. They're, all, they're all Mexican nationals, part of the Zetas cartel. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Well, um, I love that you are such a fighter on that. And I'm so glad you're available to come in today. Honest Thank to goodness, you. We, you see pictures on the news, you see pictures online. It looks terrible in Mexico. But to actually lay eyes, I actually want to give you one more chance. Anything else you want to say about your, the images, the, the thoughts you took away from being down at the border and really seeing what's happening there? It, it is it is more than what you're hearing and it's uh it's it is more of a, a chaos more of a crisis it really is a disaster down there they are getting organized every day better better and better but my my solution is not to build more more facilities not to send them to medical uh, uh, uh or uh, for bliss or uh, uh military installations or to dallas or to houston that is not the solution the solution is to enforce our laws we don't have to pass new legislation let's just start enforcing there's other laws by the way that are being ignored that we didn't even touch on these individuals providing false statements to our u.s agent if you would provide a false statement to a u.s agent you would be prosecuted for that but no one is being prosecuted for anything down there right now we need to start sending the message that you will be caught you will be detained you will be prosecuted and you'll be will put in federal prison even if it's a six-month stint you will you will pay that message will go down to the rest of the world like a wildfire and that's how you stop them from coming but until we continue to send that message that the border is open they're going to continue to come and we formerly did enforce that that particular right. one you just mentioned that's that right. if you make a false statement to the border patrol you may be prosecuted that's right but now we don't. Well, I actually, I wish I, I know we're out of time, but I would love to have heard more about what laws could be enforced. Maybe that'd be for next time. Absolutely. Thank okay. you, Debbie. Victor Avila, thanks so much for coming Thank in. Thank you so much. Great to have you. Okay, folks, I want to hit one more quick story today. I, mean, I always have more stories than time, uh, as Matt will probably mention to you. Uh, but I want to just talk about um, two stories really quickly. Uh, Pete Buttigieg, who is our Department of Transportation Secretary, um, a little just funny story about him. I decided not to send the video to Matt. We have a video. Um, there was a video captured. Pete Buttigieg is our, you know, under President Biden, he's a transportation secretary. He's been trying to push the idea that everyone should ride their bike to work. And so this is a way you can help with, with pollution. You can help reduce carbon emissions. You'll ride your bike to work. And he shows up at the Capitol or where his office is in Washington on his bike. And so it appears that he's doing that. But what happened was some uh, trusty citizen with their trusty cell phone discovered that Buttigieg is actually being driven almost all the way to work in the Secret Service van uh, in the big suburban, gets close to the office, they, load, they pull the bike out of the back, he gets on the bike and pedals his way for the short remaining distance. And honestly, it's not you know, the same as robbing a bank. It's not you know, illegal. 
but it really, to me, captured the kind of the, the hypocrisy of the left and also the notion that they virtue signal claiming that they're doing these things and if I'm doing it, you can do it. And so they're trying to encourage Americans to ride bikes to work just like our, the actual transportation secretary does, but he doesn't. He gets a ride almost all the way there and does a pretend. So I was glad that was uncovered and that and, and he didn't have a response to that, except his office said, well, you know, he did ride his bike from some meeting he was at to somewhere else. But, you know, he does pretend it's, it seemed struck me actually very similar to what the people who are fighting, allegedly fighting climate change and very, very concerned about climate change. The wealthy folks like John Kerry fly around the world and they're they're just gas guzzling, carbon emitting, massive private jets to go to conferences to scold people about how they shouldn't drive cars and shouldn't ride on airplanes. I mean, the, the hypocrisy, the you know rules for thee but not for me attitude on steroids. P uh, Pete Buttigieg, he had actually a, a little stumble too, which I was really glad there was pushback uh, early on. So they're looking for ways, of course, to fund this massive, they're calling it infrastructure bill, and the infrastructure bill is going to have many, many pieces of it that include actual portions of big parts of the Green New Deal. The infrastructure bill has in all sorts of things that have nothing to do with infrastructure. So Buttigieg is trying to opine, well, what is it we're going to do to pay for this? So he actually suggested a VMT, VMT, vehicle miles tax, so that you would actually put a tax on people. You keep track of their cars, how many miles our cars drove. And if your car drove over a certain number of miles, then you would have I guess kind of similar to a value-added tax, but a vehicle miles tax. So this was one idea he floated. He actually said in a public statement, just wherever that was, 10 days ago, uh, yeah, this is something we're thinking of putting in place in order to pay for this massive infrastructure bill. Uh, he's backpedaling. Hey, that's like a double entendre, backpedaling, you know, rode his bike. Anyway, backpedaling on this uh, vehicle miles tax because he got a lot of pushback from people, number one, pointing out, you know, it's really not very fair to people who live in suburban areas. I mean, in urban areas, live in the suburban areas or way out in the country because they have to drive in cars to go to work. I mean, so you're going to punish the people who live in rural areas or live out in the suburbs. They're going to have to have a larger number of miles they travel every day to go to work and do their life. So that was one. And then the other pushback he got was saying that, you know, actually it's going to hurt poor people the most because poor people, lower income Americans, less likely uh, able to um, you know, purchase an airline ticket, less likely able. I mean, they need their cars to go back and forth to work, mainly work jobs that require their physical presence at a job as opposed to something you can do from home. And so he's backpedaled. In fact, he kind of had, a, oh yeah, I, I, that's not on the table. We're not talking about that. Within about three days, uh, he completely backpedaled on that, said, never mind. But I really do think on this, uh, on Buttigieg and his presence in Washington, he's a really good example of what people uh, think when they watch the leftist climate change alarmist mentality. 
it always ends up being they want to tax somebody else, not themselves. They want to restrict somebody else's freedom, not their freedom. They want a virtue signal that they're really serious. And, you know, the Al Gore stories are legendary of the amount of flying he was doing and the, the massive home he built, which did not have all of the uh, bells and whistles that uh, climate change alarmists say you have to have. Uh, but he's less okay because, you know, I, I paid, I've uh, forgotten the term he had, carbon you know, he, he paid money so that he's kind of buying his carbon credits. So he's wealthy enough to donate money so he doesn't have to follow the policies he's pushing everybody else. I just saw a little, it's not a, you know, not a big moral story about uh, Buttigieg, but it is kind of indicative of that left-wing elitist, climate change alarmist, bicycle riding, virtue signaling, left-wing mentality. And then when actually push comes to shove, he's not riding his bike to work. And he is not going to push a bill because he's realized that the very constituents he believes that he claims to care about, the lower income Americans, uh, were going to get hit the hardest by the kind of thing that he was intending to do. One more quick story, and I want to just wrap up the show today by talking with you one more time uh, about joining America Can We Talk, Alan West and me. I sent to Matt the Wonderful some uh, slides, and I'm going to play them in just one moment. I just want to say this about that. We had our very first members only Thursday, this past Thursday. And I want to tell you again, if you're just listening to the show for the first time or you missed a few shows, don't know this, you know, I've done this show since 2014 since 2014 and I did it on Salem radio for many years and I moved to this incredibly lovely studio. I love doing the show here. I like online. I like four days a week, but all of that time I have never been paid anything and it's okay because it's out of love of America, but I also have been, obviously, their expenses involved in putting this show together, uh, in producing the show and having this lovely studio available. And so I want to find a way to do a couple of things. Number one, I, I don't really want advertisers. I don't want the show, the flow of the show, interrupted by an advertiser. I haven't wanted that. And so far, we haven't used uh, any of the online social media sources have advertising. Haven't used that. We have a very intense show just for you every day. That's what we do on this show. But it's also, we have a need to bring in some money. So we have, I've asked people in the past, if you love this show, to consider supporting it, donating to keep the show rolling on our website, americacanwetalk.org. You can still go there and you can hit the donate button to keep this show on air. In fact, to help it grow, help it get around the social media um, censors who, uh, you know, I've gotten in plenty of trouble numerous times with the social media censors trying to go around them, get the show out on new platforms, keep the show growing, do the kind of things of marketing we have to do. So I came up with the idea of having Thursday only be the Thursday show for members. And it's just one day a week. Thursday show is members only all the other days, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, just like usual. So we just started this last week, this past Thursday. Anyone can join, of course, and to join as a member, you go to our website, americachemitalk.org, and you hit the join, you, on the homepage under members, you go down, you hit join, and you can join the uh, members only. It is a mere $5 a month or $50 a year, not very much money, and so every Thursday is a members only show, but the other aspect of this on the members only show on Thursdays, it'll sometimes just be me talking to you, It'll sometimes be with a guest talking to you. But the big difference is 
differences are. The only way you can watch it is on our website. It won't be on YouTube, Facebook, or any other social media. It will be just on our available on for our members on my website, americacanwetalk.org. You can watch it there and you can go watch past shows. You can get your, once you join, you'll have your username, your password. You can get in there anytime and you can watch past shows. And so if you can't be tuned in on Thursday, you can watch the show whenever you're free of work or your other responsibilities, you can watch the show. But the other differences are it's in a bigger studio, and this, I love my studio here, but it's a bigger studio in the same suite where we are, but it has room for an audience. So I have an audience in studio. Right now we're doing 12 to 15. We may be able to have a few more people come, but it's a small in-studio audience. And so it has a very personal feel. We're talking back and forth with the audience. The entire show is a Q&A with you. It's not the kind of show where I did like all my other shows where I put on, I, I show you slides, I show you stories, I show you clips, I talk about them. It's an actual conversation. It's as I love to call it, the American political conversation. Or in this case, it's American, American We Talk Families, American political conversation. So people who are in studio can ask questions of the guests. We pass the microphone around. And if you're listening, wherever you are, you can participate and you can send in questions. You can send in questions by emailing me at americacanwetalk at gmail.com. And on the subject line, you must put question for Thursday show about, and then whatever it is, and put your question in. So I'm telling you now, if you're a member already, and you'd like to put a question in for this Thursday, two days from now, we have Lieutenant Colonel Alan West joining us in studio. You can send in your question to me via email. You can also send it in via text message. And now I'm gonna go to the slides I sent to Matt the Wonderful to tell you more about how exactly you can become a member and submit a question in time for the Thursday show. So beginning this month, we had uh, we, we did our launch of the American We Talk membership family. Love to have you join. Um, American We Talk will continue Mondays through Thursdays at 3 p.m. Central Time. But starting on April 1st, our Thursday shows will be members only, because that's already occurred. Uh, we, start, we did already do that. So Monday through Wednesday, available for everyone. Thursday show is like a private Q&A sometimes with a guest, a time to answer questions that you email me or you text me. You can, to join, you go to americacanwetalk.org, you click on the members tab across the top, choose join now. Once you join, you'll have access to the members only page for live shows and to watch past shows. Joining only costs $5 a month or $50 a year. And the way to send questions in, we have the next page, to send questions in um, to, for that show, are we gonna, we have the next page there? We don't have the next page. Okay, I'll just tell you. Okay, to send in questions to me for our Thursday show, you can email me at americacanwetalk at gmail.com. Use the subject line, questions for a Thursday show about. Um, to join our private text messaging, America Can We Talk family, you need to do this. You can get your phone out and you send a text message in the two line, you put 53445. You type that in the two line, and then in the message portion of your text, type the word America. That is how you join, that is how you join the uh, American We Talk texting family. Once you join, you'll get update texts from me, very infrequent, I do not inundate you, but you'll get those. And then members who have joined can separately send a text to the same thing, 53445 with the word talk. 
And, and you need to notice in both cases, don't put a period after the word America or a period after the word talk. Just send those words in and then you join that group. And in that, if you join that talk group, members can then text in questions at 53445 for the Thursday show by putting the word talk. You always have to, if you're sending me a text, put the word talk as the first word, no period after it, and then talk. And then you can say, I have a question for Alan West. I want to know, blah, blah, blah. Uh, so you, you can send a question in ahead of time uh, as the first word of the text is talk, type your question, and then during the show with Alan West in studio, we will have the opportunity for you to be able to um, ask questions, listen to what he has to say. It is the entire point of having this member's show feel different and special, and, um, and I'm very much hoping you can do that, uh, and all of us join us at America Can We Talk. So. At the end of every show, my very fine friends, I tell you why the stories we talked about today matter to you. And so I sent them Matt Wonderful, the Georgia boycott backfire, Major League Baseball moves the all-star game from Atlanta, Georgia, which is 51% black, to Denver, Colorado, less than 10% black, loss of 100 million in tourism revenue to Atlanta, and who exactly is the Major League Baseball hurting? Stacey Abrams speaking out against this Major League Baseball action. Colorado election law is very similar to New Georgia laws. New York election laws are more restrictive than the New Georgia election law. Why exactly isn't there a boycott of New York? There's a boycott only of Georgia to make a political statement. Delta Airlines had, had 100 flights canceled. They had to cancel 100 flights just Sunday and Monday due to staff shortages. I don't think so. And perhaps it was a price for their corporate wokeism. Hysteria over the new Georgia election law is completely manufactured. We have to realize this. A whipped up frenzy over no principle whatsoever. It's entirely a channeling of leftist outrage at anyone who takes action that implies there was election fraud in the 2020 result. Leftist fake outrage over a Georgia election law is a tell. Leftists to Americans are saying, stop questioning the 2020 election. And the Buttigieg big bike reveal, Buttigieg's ride my bike to work as Secretary of Transportation revealed to be nothing more than a virtue signaling photo op. Buttigieg rides with Secret Service in a van with his bike stowed in the back, stops close to the White House or wherever he's going and pulls out the bike to ride for the photo op. Similar to climate change fanatics flying private jets to Davos to lecture the world on cutting carbon emissions. This is why Americans are tired of politicians of both parties and tired of leftist hysteria over manufactured crises. And finally, on joining America Can We Talk and Alan and West and me this week, members only show every Thursday, this Thursday, April 8th, the conversation with Lieutenant Colonel Alan West, no commercial interruptions, live questions from online and in-person audience. To join, go to AmericanCanWeTalk.org, click on Members, then on Join Now. Easy to follow instructions. It's only $5 a month or $50 a year. American Can We Talk membership helps defray the costs of production of the show and helps assure consistent, high-quality, uninterrupted content that informs and inspires American patriots. If you know patriots looking for reliable information and keep the faith optimism for America, ask them to join you as a member of America Can We Talk. And that, my very fine friends, is America Can We Talk for today. Thank you so much for tuning in every Monday through Thursday at 3 p.m. Central Time to America Can We Talk, where I always talk truth about America, 
because America matters. And I'll talk to you next time. Can we talk truth about America? Can